Dog Works Radio is sponsored by Alaska Dog Works. Check out their website at alaskadogworks.com. You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Hi guys, Robert here. Tonight we have an interesting episode. We're talking about the recent Iditarod Town Hall, and we're joined by our friend and colleague, Ari Siglin calling in, and there was a little bit of a technical difficulty with her cell phone when she was calling in, but there's a ton of great info here. Hopefully you'll stick around and enjoy it. Here we go. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and you're listening to Mushing Radio here on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site and you can find all of our episodes over on mushingradio.com. And I am joined tonight by my co-host, Tony, and we also have a guest calling in from Washington. Her name is Ari Siglin. She is a musher, a graphic designer, a tech guru, a a fur sewer, the whole nine yards. And she has a few things to say about where Iditarod is headed, uh, the town hall meeting that was held uh, just the other day, considering we're recording this on Tuesday. So I am really anxious to talk to Ari. She and I have known each other, man, probably a decade or so now. She has done some very cool artwork for me. Uh, She has sewn some awesome fur mittens for our upcoming book. So without further ado, Ari, how's it going tonight? Good. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to kind of... uh, approach this subject with uh, caution. Um, <laughs> I, I know there's, I, I believe they've had town halls in the past. Is that correct, Tony? Uh, it is, yeah. They've. I think this was their third or fourth Zoom in. Um, it's kind of hard to remember which ones were like volunteer specific and which ones were town halls, but they've done a, cute, a few of these town hall meetings. Okay. Yeah. So this was, this was the first that I've attended. Um, if you follow Facebook, you might see my very, um, obnoxious comments on, I know, <laughs> um, but you know, you've probably seen my critique, um, uh, about either local designs or usages of crypto as a means to generate interest and income for the race. Um, you, you all might, you know, have differing opinions or similar opinions. Um, but because of like the recent, you know, that recent interest, I, you know, I, I jumped in on the town hall and um, then it, you know, it came to my attention that there was only a, a hundred um, member um, audience cap. So anyone who was trying to jo- join beyond that wasn't able to. So I, um, <laughs> I threw my uh, my webcam on my like MacBook and faced it towards my other MacBook and I'm like, all right, we got a pirated stream of the town hall going for the whole five people who, who might be watching that. But um, you know, as I thought about that, like, you know, that's 
that might be like a small oversight, you know, as far as, you know, who's researching the technology that Iditarod uses for their, you know, their online presence. But we, in my, in my observations, this seems to happen a lot within like Iditarod's um, like social media presence. There's a lot of small gaps, which, you know, and if you're looking at it in hindsight, it's not a big deal. But when you're considering the organization as an international organization, like these things add up and they kind of chip away at a brand. Like, I, I, you know, I'm not, not only that, but I think about, oh, gosh, it was this is a couple years ago when they made a blog post on the Iditarod website about the Siberian Husky breed and some of the language that they use was kind of inflammatory and which, you know, offended, you know, some mushers. The first one that comes to mind is Lisbeth, you know, given that her family Mm -hmm. had such like a, like, like huge, um, they're like, I don't know, they're just foundation mushers of Alaska, regardless of what breed that they're running like they're they're you know it's pretty important so to like allow that to be published is just kind of like what who's behind this and then there's like the whole thing with the voyage merch partner and um, their founder ceo kind of going rogue and responding to criticism and not really sure on the direction of that and it also sounds like iditarod has been you know publishing things without approval and then you know and then there's a logo thing, which I'm not going to get into. You all know. But um, anyway, like, I don't know. To me, it says, like, they're they're, making, they're doing a lot of stuff without enough proper research or, like, okay, who's who's making these approvals? Who's publishing this? What is going on? And, you know, I hear, you know, watching the town hall and seeing what Greg had to say as far as um, staying positive. Um, I get it. And to me, I kind of interpret that as like, all right, let's take this criticism in mind, but let's press forward. That's how I want to interpret it. However, I don't think the best way to go about it is to be completely dismissive of criticism because there are you know, people like you, like all of us here, who care deeply about the race. And it's not just a canine thing. It's kind of like a cultural thing. You know, we think about like what it represents, you know, how it represents Alaska and the North and that whole kind of like forging, you know, exploration Mm -hmm. and all of that. Like it, it has greater representation, but um, anyway, to reel it back in, it's like, yeah, we care deeply about it. And a lot of us, I would say, you know, you, me, Robert, like we have kind of professional um, expertise and whatever it is that we do as a nine to five hustle um, that makes us, you know, what I would think the Iditarod would want to listen to what we have to say. I know that Tony, you and I were kind of like talking, you had mentioned like, well, is this, is this criticism cans? Like who, what fans are, who's actually asking the questions that they brought up in the Q&A. Having you on was very deliberate, and I wanted to have you on for a couple of different reasons. As I said, you and I have known each other for quite a while. Obviously, obviously we've followed each other on social. We sort of know where our stance is. And this definitely is not a bash I did a rod show, but I wanted to have you on because, you, like you said, we all have 
expertise in one area or another that could lead credence to some of the gaffes that they are dealing with. And in particular, mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a, a little bit about um, your history with, with, um, with mushing and how you got started and how most people know you. Several years ago, you started an organization with some fellow mushers and enthusiasts in retaliation to some negative publicity that was unfounded. Can you tell us a little bit about that to sort of give some background uh, on your side of this? I mean, you're just not uh, an internet troll. You have uh, legitimate right. concerns, don't you? <laughs> so can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that, that response, that organization, and then we'll jump into some questions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am a recreational dog musher, second generation, and you know, I, I'm in the, I am a graphic designer slash user experience designer. Um, when the Sled Dogs documentary uh, came out in, I believe, I think it was fall of 2016. And if those of you who are listening don't know or remember what that was, it was a pretty slanderous uh, documentary painting dog mushing in a very poor light. Um, they did use some factual incidences. However, the majority of it was just an aggregation of just, um, it was just sensational misinformation. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just goes hand in hand with PETA. They were, you know, they, they were essentially like, uh, celebrated by PETA. Anyway, um, I wanted to generate some sort of content that um, used kind of, you know, the same keywords to battle that in, that misinformation. And so I just, I was like, all right, well, the film's called Sled Dogs. Let's just call it Sled Dog Info. And so it was um, myself, um, Helen, who I know is working on a, a book uh, about Sled Dog history and, um, Shannon Adkins, and we just, uh, you know, Helen's obviously she's an aficionado, and Shannon's background is in, um, uh, she's a writer and an editor. So perfect combination with my, my design skills to be able to build up like this huge resource uh, for dog mushing. And then we um, built some social media to support it. Uh, that, you know, was more active, we were more active on the Facebook, it's died down a little bit, um, since we haven't been producing any um, new content in quite a while, but we were doing, um, we were doing uh, musher, meet the musher profiles, where we introduce um, a musher, no matter where they were in their career, or what type of mushing, and kind of put the spotlight on it, and we pulled mushers from like all over the world, from South Africa to New Zealand. And any type of mushing where they did, you know, long distance or, you know, Martin Boozer to, you know, mm -hmm. sprint guys like Ben Thompson, and ben, ben and Lacey Thompson. And, um, yeah, it was just we I wanted to kind of jump into the SEO and kind of compete with that um, with Helen's um, book coming out she um she approached me and she wants to start generating new content for sled dog sled dog info so hopefully um something that we can also like promote you know uh preceding iditarod so that way we can like all right help 
uh, kind of like prop up Iditarod and prop up positive stories, factual mm-hmm. stories, stuff that our community really needs. And I think what uh, educators would really, you know, the teachers in that space could really benefit from. Tony, I'm going to give you the, the floor first. Um, you you had talked uh, to me before air about this town hall meeting. And can you give us sort of the Cliff Notes version of that? Uh, just maybe maybe some bullet points. And then I'll have you ask uh, the first question to our guest, at least so we can kind of go on a Q&A type um, a response here. So when they announced that they were doing this town hall meeting, they promised that they would answer all of our questions and they were going to give us all new info and it was going to be super exciting. And then it was literally the same town hall meeting that I've attended the last couple of times. So uh, with the exception of one thing um, that was pretty much the only thing that truly interested me, which um, they are wanting to get into um, supporting junior mushers and um, to make sure that it is easier for rookies to qualify for their race. Now, I was hoping that meant that they would be spotlighting more of the races that are already well-established, that we love, that we um, talk about here on our show. Um, Instead, what they're hoping to do is um, have their own races on the same day as the restart of Iditarod starting in 2024, but they're in just the dream stages. They're not even in the um, pre-planning stages. This is just something that they're kind of spitballing right now. Uh, They want to have a world junior championship, I think is what they were calling it, um, which would start out in the morning before the main race of Iditarod for the restart in Willow. And then after all of those teams go through in the evening, start the qualifier race, which would be anywhere from 200 to 300 miles is my assumption, uh, seeing as how it's a qualifier. Um, And what they were hoping to do is just build on the infrastructure that's already in place because of the Iditarod. They'd be running the same trail. They'd be using the same volunteers. It wouldn't be too much of an extra cost, but it would mean that Insider followed all three of these races simultaneously. Um, So that was one part of the town hall that I wish they spent more time on. Um, But of course, Rob had to really spend a lot of time about his pet projects, which are his his Dogopedia, AKA dogs, the Netflix of dog entertainment slash information, um, the doc dogs partnership. And of course his lovely, I did a coin or whatever it's called this week. Um, he was really, really adamant that crypto is not dead and that it's a safe thing and it's already giving so much money to Iditarod that, you know, we have to keep going with it. Greg Heister gave some information on Insider's plans, not too different than what we've had in the past. Um, I did speak with Greg a, uh, a lot last night. Um, He saw some of my comments on Facebook and he reached out. Um, We had a very, uh, I think, good conversation. Uh, I even went and did some private one-on-one chatting with him in private message about a few questions that I had that wasn't really something that needed to necessarily be public. And he's got some things in the works that he can't talk about right now because it's not something that's a for sure 
Um, so he didn't give me any details, but he is hoping to expand Insider in some new ways um, if he can get the go-ahead for that. So that was kind of exciting because I do think that this year has been very rough on Greg, as Ari said earlier with the whole, um, you know, he's he's kind of taken the hits for Iditarod. He's the only one that will put his his name to it. And he's the one that, you know, keeps asking us to be positive. And I've been snarky about that because it did feel like it was just like no criticism at all. We don't want to hear that. Now that's kind of changing with him after the town hall meeting last night. He seems to be more responsive. Um, so I'm really excited to see how that progresses. I'm being hopeful um, and no snark at all with that. I, I, I do want to be positive. It is that time of year where I do just start getting fangirly about the race, no matter what. Um, and then Mark Nordman may, uh, made a little update on the 2023 race. Nothing out of the ordinary. He's got his uh, trail sweeps getting ready to go and, and break trail. Um, and then he also pushed that we as fans and as the Iditarod community, we need to be supporting all the races, not just Iditarod races, which I really appreciated hearing Mark say. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit more than the bullet points there, but that I think was the gist of most of it. Um, you know, Rob gave his state of Iditarod to Iditarod Nation, which I'm never going to get on board with Iditarod Nation. But I did tell Greg that, and he said that he's going to try and use Idita fans once in a while, too. So I'm, I'm happy with that. If he can keep that promise, I'll be a happy person. <laughs> and Tony, do you have a question or lead in for Ari here? Sure. So um, when Rob, not Rob. Yeah, it was Rob that was talking about the uh, the new races that they're wanting to do. Um, this is something that Ari and I kind of discussed last night and today, um, where they were talking about the the junior I did around. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, um, and I know Ari, you said that you were rewatching it today. But um, did it sound to you like it was going to be in conjunction with Junior Iditarod or that it was going to replace Junior Iditarod? Because that's the question that I've been getting from others that watched it last night. Um, and my feeling was that this was in conjunction. It wasn't going to take place of Junior Iditarod, but it was going to be an added junior race. But maybe, maybe I misunderstood. What, didn't they call it a youth, the youth championships or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my assumption is that it would be in conjunction with mm -hmm. Iditarod, and cool. I mean, I great. It's you know, it's great. <laughs> I think that there was a logistics question that you and I both had, like, how do we do right. that on the same day? If, if that was in fact the one that occurred on the same day, which I may have misinterpreted. But um, I know they're trying to, like, generate more interest and kind of forge the way for the next generation. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, that's not going to be, like, an immediate, you know. It's not like these right. kids entering the race or next year they're going to magically turn 18 and enter, you know, I did a ride. I think just right. right now we're, you know, there's issues, inflation, and also um, the old folks, <laughs> like the, the Jeff Kings, the the Martin mm -hmm. Boozers and whomever, their kids who are, you know, now 30-some, 
have their own lives. They have their own families. So it's like it might be a generational gap. Maybe like the the mushers who weren't like the second generation folks who are, you know, you know, the race seems to be relying on right now. Um, you know, maybe it's up to them to carry it. I just I just feel like it there, it's, might just be a generational lull. Um, and, you know, you think about what was really popular in like the 90s and the 2000s with like outdoors stuff and maybe it's uh, maybe we need to revive that interest somehow i don't know mm-hmm. when i think about like popular media especially all the movies that came out in like the 90s like <laughs> iron will and white thing right. and, uh right. those other disney movies i don't know maybe we just it's just the revival needed and um maybe this like low entry number can't just can't be helped right now but i don't know mm-hmm. I don't know. I I am hopeful. Um, I certainly don't see it as being a nail in the coffin. However, I I do feel like there are, you know, that being said, there are improvements that need to be made. (laughs) So Ari, (laughs) Ari, you, you have worked with some of the largest brands in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, As you said, you're, you're creative with graphic design and, and you obviously know the process to get a message out. Um, whether it's on social or web or, or whatever type media, you, you know that process. Why do you think they struggle so badly with this, it, PR in particular? And, and I did not have the chance to attend the, the town hall last night. I was at a board meeting, but it sounds like they have people answering the questions. Who are the wrong people to answer? I mean, they have the race marshal and... The guy that's doing the video coverage, it's not the PR guy. Uh, you have the CEO who's who's answering, but he has obviously his buttons to push as well. Why do you think they struggle so much to get their message out? Uh, I think uh, a lot of the people involved with Editora still see it as, you know, locally run sled dog race. And I get that. And I think there are merits to that. However, you know, you can't help, you know, you can't deny that it's on an international scale now. Um, I forget who I was talking to, but I don't believe, I, I, I think they work with the PR firm that offers them guidance, but I don't, I do, Tony, do you know if there's like an officially designated PR person? You know, that's the question that I've been wondering for a little while now, um, because it really seems to be like Facebook. We've now we now know that Greg Heister can post as I did her on. He's but he signs his name to it. And I really appreciate that. I am not coming down on Greg for that at all, um, because he does say things that he, he should put his name to it because it is an opinion and it is his feelings. And he's he's very passionate about um, what he sees I did around doing right. And I don't think he's always incorrect in that. Um, but I don't know because there are certainly a lot of problems with whoever has posted a lot of the stuff on Facebook. Um, Barbara Reddington, I don't know if anybody else follows the Iditarod page as closely as maybe Barb does, but she is constantly, um, telling them that, you know, they've spelled the name wrong, including they misspell Reddington almost every time, oh, no. which seems like oh, no. such a huge 
thing when you consider he is literally the father of Iditarod. You can't mess up that name, guys. Like, I get it. I want to put two Ds in there, too. I do. It's very difficult for me. I get that. But it's called proofreading, and that's what we are taught to do in media, in any kind of media, journalism. And I know I do it, too. I just hit send. I just hit post on my blog. But I'm not an international race trying and using my social media to be the face of that race. Um, So it seems like a little thing, but watching Barb get frustrated or at least, you know, just in uh, maybe I'm reading tone into it, but watching Barb constantly do something so simple as be like, hey, you know, that's not their name or hey. Yeah, it seems like it seems like there needs to be an approval process and really they Mm -hmm. need to sit down and think about like brand voice and um, brand visual representation. And they're really, you know there needs to be a style guide written, you know, pertaining to that. Who knows what level of exposure anyone within Iditarod has to that. I'd imagine Mm -hmm. Greg probably has. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it warrants a discussion and would help unify what's going on on the website, what's going on on social media platforms, what's going on on Insider. But it's kind of like we're looking for a unicorn because you need somebody who um, is familiar, is a professional as it Mm -hmm. pertains to PR and branding and outside representation, um, as well as someone familiar with Iditarod and mushing and its history and kind of, you know, can be a little sensitive to that uh, and go from there. It's, it's just that there's, there's kind of a, you know, the audience is a bit different. You have dog mushers who know how it goes and then people who don't have any exposure to that and are just simply race fans from some other state or some other country. And they expect, like, uh, a level of um, cohesion, if you will, mm-hmm. that just isn't there. <laughs> you know, when you look at uh, criticism and it's like, oh, the criticism is about that, or the criticism is about Insider, and it's like, well, for me, personally, I don't have any criticisms towards Insider coverage, um, but I guess that depends on who you ask and what their level of of exposure was, which I certainly, when I was re-watching the town hall, Greg got into a little bit of the logistics behind it, and the people involved, and the fact that they're, you know, Mm -hmm. paid the low industry standard, which I you know, kind of, you know, anticipated and that it's really just uh, passion and these people mm-hmm. take time out of their schedule to kind of support the coverage, which is freaking awesome. But anyway, yeah, again, you know, reeling it back in, it's just um, they, I think that the public facing organization could, you know, benefit from a PR refresh um, kind of branding refresh and to just help them avoid kind of like PR gaps um, mm-hmm. 
I can't really think of one off the top of my head, but I know some, I'm sure you could probably think of one like that's just kind of like, oh God, what are they doing? <laughs> like, well, stop now well, before it's too late. One of the one of the biggest gaffes that they made, and I know that you you commented on that uh, pretty extensively, and I want to get into that in just a second. Is the, <laughs> is their current logo, and that that's 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 a major gaffe um, that I want to get into. But my comment to to this to this part of the um, Q and A is, I thought when they brought in Rob Erbach, he was sort of that guy. He was the guy that came from a relatively niche sport with uh, triathlon. Obviously it's not football or basketball or hockey or something like that, but a sport sort of on the same playing field, if you will, as I did a rod, you know, only people that follow mm -hmm. triathlon, know triathlon. And he had, he had a lot of credentials based on that. And when they brought him in, I thought maybe he was the guy that knew the things that we're discussing tonight if we could quickly, what are your thoughts on that, uh, Tony, first, about bringing in somebody, as I described, and where he's at, uh, what is it, three or four years now into it? Yeah, my, my it's got to be four because my uh, Facebook memories uh, just yesterday, um, it was four years ago that Stan Hooley, who was the, uh, the Rob Erbach before Rob, um, he, he had... Uh, gone public with his resignation that he was going in a different direction. Um, and so, you know, when Rob was first announced, I was a little bit concerned because he was a complete outsider, which I know I get myself in trouble for saying that because it makes me sound elitist and gatekeeping and all of that. Um, but Alaskans and Alaska things just run differently. Um, Alaskans have a different mindset. Um, we do, do things differently. And so I was concerned that Rob wouldn't really understand or would try to change too much too quickly and he wouldn't get anywhere because of the pushback. And then he spoke at the Iditarod picnic that summer and was just so enthusiastic and was shaking hands, meeting everyone, getting really down and you know, just trying to learn um, and was very enthusiastic. I still was kind of concerned because he seemed a little too enthusiastic and it was one of those things where you're going to crash and burn. Um, <laughs> but here we are four years later and he's still pretty hyperactive about it. So he still has that passion. I think he walked into Iditarod in just a very difficult time. And, and I don't know that anybody could have dealt with it any better. He was coming in during the fallout of the Musher X scandal. Yeah. He was um, dealing with, and he didn't even know it yet, he was going to end up in a pandemic just the first year that he was really going to be in charge. Um, you know, he, he really didn't have a whole lot of time to get used to what he's now hoping to see this year, which is a quote-unquote normal Iditarod. They're not going to have to follow heavy COVID procedures um, and policies. They're going to do the Southern route. There's no crazy, you know, stay out of checkpoints, stay in only one little barn in this checkpoint. It's going to run like a real Iditarod, I shouldn't say a real Iditarod, but the Iditarods that we've known and loved. So it's, it almost feels like this is his first go in that way. 
where my concern is with Rob is he's very enthusiastic about Iditarod, but he seems more enthusiastic with things that just don't seem to be catching on with the fan base that's been here for 50 years. Um, you know, one thing that I wanted to hear in the town hall that I didn't, that my I asked my question and then I somehow got bumped off of the town hall. I'm not trying to say there's a conspiracy. I think it was my internet. Um, but my question is, we didn't do anything special for the 50th running last year. And I know we can blame COVID on that, but if we're not worried about COVID this year, why aren't we hearing about special events celebrating 50 years of Iditarod? Look, Pete has tried to take us down now for 45 to 50 years, really. I mean, they were mm -hmm. up our butt in 1976. There's a whole page in the Iditarod runner that year about PETA. So why aren't we thumbing our noses at all of the naysayers that said Joe Reddington was crazy in the 70s, that it was just a fad in the 80s, that it was going to die off once Jeff King and Martin Boozer retired. You know, here we are 50 years later. Yeah, our roster is small, but who the frick cares? We're still running. We, yeah. we have made it through all of this. Everybody that I have talked to, from the fans to the mushers to the longtime fans to the two years ago fans, the ones that just are here because Dallas and Matt and Wade and every and all of those guys are super cute, or they saw Brent and Dallas and Jesse on the, the reality TV shows. It doesn't matter. They all want to have these events. We want to celebrate the 50 years, and all I'm hearing is we're going to do the gala like we used to do, and we're going to do the meet and greet. And I'm like, so shouldn't we be celebrating this more? I want like 50 years swag that's better than last year's swag that everybody was disappointed in. Um, and instead we got a whole lot of talk about doc dogs and cryptocurrency and dogopedia. And it was the same stuff we've been hearing since Rob started. There's nothing new happening in those. I'm not excited about those. And I haven't met anybody outside of Rob Erbach and the team that are. Everyone's more excited about this race. And I think that's where Rob sometimes misses the mark is that he's not excited the way the fans are. And so he's not connecting with the fans. All I've read lately, and it's so unfair because I think Rob is just a really good guy and I think he could do well with Iditarod. I don't know if it's because the fans aren't give, never gave him a chance or if it's because he's taken us too far into the 21st century and mushers and Alaskans and mushing fans just aren't ready for that. I, I don't know, but okay. That was my little spiel. <laughs> Ari, well what, what are your thoughts on, on um, what are your thoughts on, on the new CEO and, and sort of his, his passion or his foresight or whatever? I think the Dogopedia that's, it sounds it, it certainly sounds new to me um whether or not i think it'll actually gain any traction that generates revenue for iditarod i'm a little skeptical but you know i'm open to seeing where it goes crypto i you know despite it <laughs> not using uh iditarod resources or funds i don't really um see it gaining much traction um, but I haven't seen 
anything like any publications saying that it hasn't benefited Iduraf, but I haven't seen any like proof of like, oh, look what it's actually done. Like, mm -hmm. uh, is there any white paper that supports that? I think that crypto, there's, you know, there's a lot of stigma surrounding crypto and, um, you know, based on uh, what you think about blockchain uh, technology and how it apparently utilizes environmental resources and contributes <laughs> to global warming and all that, uh, uh, which is what other people have, have, you know, brought up in their criticisms. I'm kind of, I'm just overall skeptical of it uh, because if, you know, is this, are we, are we trying to attract more Iditarod fans or mm -hmm. more insider subscriptions? Like how, how is, I, I hear a lot of buzzwords um, in the in the dog or the GGZ website that was formerly I did a coin or whatever it was and um, I don't really see any proof see see any of it being um, tangible in any sort of way I don't think anyone who's currently a fan of I did rod is going to be like wow I'm going to buy some <laughs> of that currency. And it's like I I've dabbled in like the Doge coins and the, the the Shibas and all that, but like as as Monopoly play money because I know that whole scene is a little volatile and it gets kind of murky and it's not really how I want to spend my time. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't really think anyone else, you know, currently infatuated with Iditarod wants to either. So that's how I feel about that. Um, but maybe I'm totally wait, you know, maybe I'm plot based with my um, assumptions based on what information has been available to me as a fan. Uh, I'm trying to be like really objective about this. I don't want to like poo poo everything that, you know, right. Rob has done. I think he's got really great positive ideas. However, um, if I'm just being completely honest about it, like, he doesn't really mesh well with the mushers because he's kind of a clean cut dude amongst a sea of people who've worn the same Carhartt jacket for 10 years and you know they're they're all their jackets have duct duct tape patches all over and, and, but you know that's just that's just observational and shouldn't uh detract from who he is as a person um mm -hmm. But we want, I want to think positively of a person because I want something positive to come of the race. It's hard. I, I really can't answer that because I feel like I haven't seen much of the guy to, right. you know, I'm sure if I, I met him in person, be like, wow, he's a really swell dude. But then it's like, I fail to see the connection between Iditarod and Dog Dogs. And like, I'm going to get a random <laughs> post on the Iditarod's Facebook with some doc dogs and it's like I'm looking at I, I rewatched that PowerPoint and it was just like a slide, a still photo of a dog jumping and some people. And it's like, dude, like you know the energy uh surrounding dog dogs. Why not just play a bit like a video? That's a little right. bit more convinced convincing. And then right. you know, we'd be able to feel the emotion and that could generate some buzz, but instead it's like Here, here's a PowerPoint some pictures of some dogs like yeah we know what dogs look like let's see them do their thing if you want this to be compelling and all of that um 
so yeah like he's got a lot of nice like positive buzzwords but i you know i feel i fail to feel the emotion behind it and maybe i'm a little bit more touchy feely with my assessment of rob but it's just like oh man maybe we should have got like a rodeo person like (laughs) you like right yeah like to get involved with the race because rodeo is a big freaking deal down in texas mm-hmm. and or not even just texas but like all of north america and they i'm sure they have their own channel um with western rodeo yep. horse related stuff like content and it's like why can't we dominate that you know a similar space but with like dog mm-hmm. stuff but like maybe that's what the whole dogopedia thing is but i was really right. you know with in the in the powerpoint I was really unsure of what content, but what kind of content are we like articles? Like what's going on here? And I saw like a website mock-up and I'm like, what? Like, I know it's super high level, but it's like, explain it to me in detail. <laughs> like, right. Don't give me buzzwords that we can all like nod our heads to. Anyway. So, so of- let, me, let me jump in on my assumption <laughs> or my, my um, perception. Uh, first off, uh, I find it really interesting that an organization of this size and with their, their budget um, literally operates out of a headquarters that's smaller than my house. Um, You know, there, both of you guys have been to Iditarod headquarters. A lot of folks that listen have not, but, but about, I would say at least half. I don't think I've been to it. No, you haven't. Well, it's, it, I would say half to three quarters of it is the gift shop and the, and the room where, where you can watch the video the and conference room, yeah. the conference room and their offices are probably just a couple hundred square feet, mm-hmm. uh, which is not saying that that's bad, but when you're trying to do all of these things, all of these extra things, uh, with, with us, and I say the size of it because the size equals the staff. I mean, if you can only have a team of just a handful of folks, right. how in the world are you expected to do one event well when you only have mm-hmm. four, five, six, seven people that are that are in charge of the entire thing? And this goes back to what you said in the uh, synopsis of the meeting, Tony, and, and what Ari and you had talked about the entire episode, all these extra things, whether it be cryptocurrency or... Um, qualifying races or junior races or doc dogs or the Netflix of dog training or whatever, concentrate on what is working. And Iditarod has worked no matter the naysayers. Iditarod has worked for 50 years. Um, It's a product that the people that follow it know it well. They trust it. They expect it to be good. They expect it to be be professional. But it seems to me that so many there's so many um, tentacles in the fire, so to speak, that they that that's where a lot of their gaffes are coming in. Do you guys agree with that? Uh, too many cooks in the kitchen. That's what I yes. interpreted the yeah. tentacles. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, they they need to think of a. You know, it's not like there should be only one person who has control. It should be like, hey, let's agree on a voice and let's, you know, run this by each other. Like simple, simple procedures. 
And then you're, you know, you're pretty, you're pretty good. You're pretty golden as far as like controlling, like the amount of errors that get published. (laughs) That that's, that's that brand message you talked about. And I want to end the show on the face of the brand. And again, this is why I wanted to have you on tonight, (laughs) Ari. Uh, uh, I guess it was what, four or five months ago, sometime in the summer, I guess. Uh, they released their their logo, and I, I think both you and I were pretty quick in responding to their initial posting. And both of us said, "Oh boy, this is this is wrong on a bunch of a bunch of a bunch of different <laughs> levels." And then I sort of bowed out. I think I was out of town or something, and you sort of took it over, Ari, and oh, I, I <laughs> and and ran with it. Like... So. So can- and I somehow got caught in the middle of it and everybody blamed me for being negative. And I'm like, all I did was I didn't notice that the nose was crooked. So, so let me, let me, uh, let me open this up because we're way over on time and folks that are listening on the radio, are going to have to listen to this next week, but that's okay. So Ari, as a graphic designer, as, as a brand expert, if you will, you saw right away that it was, it was bad. Uh, we could say amateurish. We could say too quick to release. We could say unedited. We could say all sorts of things. From a brand's perspective, why did they let something like that fly? I, I have no freaking idea. <laughs> like I, they've had wonderful, beautiful art from years past. So, you know, granted, it was very photorealistic, but. They could have gone this sort of like uh, illustrated graphic novel novel approach and have it look awesome if it was anatomically correct. However, this was not anatomically correct. And like 98% of the artwork from years past has been. So it's just like, what happened? Like to me, it's it it, it just suggested we're running out of money. So we're going to pay a, a design student to, you know, pump something out overnight and that's what it looked like and i got really worried i was like is there something wrong are you guys okay blink once if you're not okay or whatever like and like i'm sorry to the designer whoever made that but if you've never drawn an animal before do some uh studies do some illustrative studies go to somebody's kennel and do some like drawing exercises familiar yourself or familiarize yourself with the subject matter before you go out and like ship that. Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> so obviously, obviously they listen to to the fans' advice or or even the experts' advice. Being um, just just your voice in particular, uh, Ari. They listen to to other people's advice, but pretty much just you know doubled down and said, "Nope, we're gonna go with it." Uh, you know, this is how it's going to be, and we're going to roll. What are your thoughts on that, Ari? Well, um, it sounds like you know, I, I I didn't really expect them to go back and edit the um, illustration because it sounds like they'd already like paid for it. Um, whoever, oh, it was Alaska Serial Graphics or whomever. I think they were the ones that completed the design. They're a print shop. They don't specialize in graphic design, despite them saying so, because the the visual bugs on their website were just like awful. And it's like you're you say you do graphic design or and web design, but your website is like 
uh, you have white text displayed on a white background. How do you figure? But anyway, before I go off on a tangent, um, <laughs> they probably already paid for it. And they're, you know, that was it. And they already made an, uh, an official, like, posting, like, here it is. Um, and, you know, from the design print shop's uh, perspective, I don't think they really did any proper um, review processes. Um, maybe if there was a creative director or maybe even a colleague, maybe they weren't even familiar with the subject matter to be like, hey, I think you should revisit this because this is looking off. Or maybe like the there was no no review processes and the designer just went rogue. Like if I'm working on something, you know, at work, I have daily syncs with fellow designers, um, the creative director or whomever, just to nitpick that stuff. Like font size, color, oh is this one pixel off or two pixels off? Like minute stuff. So when stuff like that that is glaringly obvious comes out, then I just like, oh God, I'm gonna have a stroke. But yeah, there was, <laughs> it just sounds like there was no um, review, like proper review processes. I think you brought up a very good point, Ari. Even on the most basic graphic design level, and I'm thinking about ordering stickers online from a sticker company. Uh, they submit a proof for approval. Uh, you know, they say, right. okay, here it is. Uh, do you accept, uh, you know, click here. If, if you, if you want to edit, click here and tell us what you want to do. And that goes back and forth, back and forth until the client yeah. is happy. And whether that's, you know, mm -hmm. for, for stickers that, you know, that are, that are a dollar a piece or, you know, high end graphics work, yep. there's that proofing process where the client's involved that's a crucial part of any type of graphic design because often, and you're the, much more of an expert than I, the client will have one vision and the designer will have okay. another. And the key is to find that middle ground where everybody's happy and their message is being uh, conveyed. Okay. Is that right, Ari? Yes, absolutely. And um, that makes me think that also... Whoever's doing approval on a Diderot side, maybe, um, gosh, maybe it, maybe it's one person who doesn't know what they're doing. They're like, yeah, that looks like a dog. Sure, ship it. Or, uh, man, there's no telling. And I really, I, I'm just super curious as to how that became the thing that they paid for. Yes, um, yeah. Uh, Tony, do you have any other questions? Do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, the only thing that uh, I think Iditarod tried to compromise, um, because that was one of those threads that, like I said, I kind of got pulled into it because my question was, well, what the original bib number on the logo was 32. And I was like, so what's the significance of 32? Because it's the 50th year. It's the 51st running. And Lance Mackey just died. You have three other options for numbers and 32 makes me think Ali Zirkle, Zirkle or Dallas Phoebe because those are the bib number. They, they both have had that bib number in a significant year. So, and they came back with, Oh, it was just a randomly generated number. Uh -huh. And then I was like, okay, well, I feel like that was okay. Whatever. I'm yeah. And then it snowballed from there because I think Ari, you jumped on that and was like, 
what do you mean randomly generated? <laughs> but um, like, how, how does this happen? Um, but then they came back a couple weeks later because all of the other fans were like, why can't it be Lance's 13? Which I could kind of understand, you know, it's been argued now that they need to retire that number. I can understand why we don't want to use number 13 mm-hmm. because he didn't win all four of his races with 13. He won the first one, which was entirely very significant. Rick Mackey won his Iditarod, Dick Mackey. So it is very important to the Mackey family. But there are Mackeys still running the Iditarod. I don't think it's fair to retire that number when it seems to be the family's lucky number. And I think that that's just going to blow their races all the heck if they're never allowed to run 13. So they chose that, and then everyone seemed to just be happy with the logo. It was like, okay, never mind what everybody else is saying about the logo. It's perfect because it has Lance's number. (laughs) And I'm still sitting there going, I still don't really see the cross-eyed dog that Ari and Robert and all of these other creative people that I should be right there with you because I'm a photographer and angles are very important. But apparently I was more focused on the very 90s font of how they wrote out Iditarod, and that's all I see on the logo, which was kind of exciting for me because I have a T-shirt that I swear has that same font from, like, 1992 Iditarod. It's my mom's old T-shirt from when she volunteered, and I still have it somewhere. And um, But, yeah, I, I, I like that it feels like a throwback to the early 90s style of Iditarod t-shirt logo but I kind of miss the more I don't know just simplistic like just the 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 old Iditarod logo that was the trail marker shield kind of shape I have a sweatshirt with that on it it's my favorite thing to wear that's Iditarod I like simplistic. I, I don't need busyness on the shirt. I just want it to say I did a rod. I want it to be easily understood. Not a lot of, well, why are they? Okay. But that's just me. <laughs> it's for something else, you know, something to think about down the road. Hopefully this is just growing pains because there's too many things that they're needing to worry about this year. Yeah. I hope I, you know, I, I really don't want to come off. And I think I have as a Debbie Downer with this race. I really don't. And this is something that I, I even kind of confessed to Greg as we were talking last night is that, you know, I think we're all, you know, I did a rod personnel certainly are passionate about this race. Greg Heister would not be freezing his butt off every year for insider, right. not making any money really. Um, you know, when he could be at his Pac-12 gig somewhere warm. Um, you know, he he obviously loves the race. You listen to it in his voice when he talks insider. As much as he and I disagree on certain things, I sit there and I cry through the DVD every year because I freaking mm-hmm. love the race and the people that are involved with it, both in front of the camera, behind the camera, the dogs. I just don't want these missteps to be something that snowballs out of control because we saw what happened in 2017 and 2018 with the huge PR nightmare of Musher X that could have been avoided if people took the time to think before they spoke mm-hmm. and maybe possibly had those safeties in place where 
misinformation didn't get out and that sort of thing. So I just don't want to be there again. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just something growing pains, you know, too many people with too many ideas or not enough people to grow the ideas that they have. Um, it's, it's a hard sell when they want to be the Super Bowl of mushing, but they don't have the NFL budget to do it. And in this world, nobody's going to work for free unless apparently you're the camera crew of I did or odd insider, which kudos to them. They don't get enough love. Uh, you, you summed it up there as well. And I, I think that that's sort of the, the baseline for this entire episode is these little gaffes have really caused a lot of, a lot of big issues on the PR front, on the fan front, all that. And, you know, I often compare Iditarod to a lot of other sports. We often talk about how it's the same as the NFL or how it's the same as baseball or whatever and go back and forth because I'm a fan of, of all sports. And I just see how, how these gaffes can cause these issues. Uh, Ari, since you are our guest this evening, do you have anything you want to leave with? Uh, the next couple of minutes are yours before we close. Uh I understand, you know, as far as art goes, I understand if they want to explore, like, different art styles. Uh, I certainly think that would be a, a great way to generate more interest in, you know, merch-related things. Um, and also, it could potentially be a great way to uh, showcase uh, Iditarod artists. Um, a lot of people... Mm -hmm. Uh, who didn't like the 2023 artwork thought uh, next time maybe showcase uh, Alaskan Native artists or uh, this type of art style or, or anything. And I think um, I did write, if you're listening, you should um, go that route. I don't complain so much because I want to make the art. <laughs> I just think... Um, this, uh, you know, we kind of tripped this year, uh, which is fine, you know, as long as we do better the next year. And um, I know, you know, some of some of the listeners may not understand. It's just art. Who cares? It still looks like a dog. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, that's fine. It's great that you don't you aren't bothered by that. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's a it it. it it can appear to be very, um, I don't know, it's not as tangible to other people, but, you know, you, you think about the legacy of the race um, and its image all across the world and, you know, the sweatshirts that we, you know, we hold on to for decades and what that means. Um, to me, it always has inspired some sort of, I don't know, romanticism. And... Um, I'm a visual person, so I think that the legacy should be carried on through art and how that's represented throughout the years. Um, and I, and, you know, I think that's applicable to a lot of things, not just art, but the integrity of the race and how we can look fondly back on you know years prior to and you know think of you know the future um in the same fashion uh i'm trying to end it on a positive note similar to greg <laughs> think, think positive 
Um, and I think I think we can get there. And it's just a matter of taking the criticism and taking what we learned and kind of uh, like Robert has said, do what we um, we've done well for so long and support it and to strengthen that voice and not necessarily by extracurricular ventures, but by with what we know best. And that's the legacy. That's the dogs and the history and everything that contributes to that. Very well said. So to end this show, uh, Ari, how can folks find you on social? Where's the best place? Uh, you can um, go to my website. It's um, arisiglin.com. I'll spell it out. It's A-R-I-S-I-G-G-L-I-N.com. Or you can find me on um, Instagram, which is just my last name. It's Siglin, uh, which is S-I-G-G-L-I-N. All right. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Tony, how can folks find you? Uh, my blog is writersblock.com, R-E-I-T-T-E-R-S-B-L-O-C-K. And uh, also on Twitter at Tony Shell AK. Uh, I'm on Instagram as at Tony Shell. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook. I don't accept friend requests if I don't know you personally. Um, but you can follow in any and everything um, mushing and I did a rod related. I put public so you can still find me on there um, and you can interact, uh, comment all of that sort of thing. And we can have a discussion that way. And you can follow me at Robert Forto, F-O-R-T-O on all social media. And I encourage all of you guys that are listening to let us know what you think. This was a pretty in-depth episode. We covered a lot of topics. We've been talking about these topics for a long time, at least since uh, last Iditarod was over sometime in late March. We've talked about this dang near bi-weekly. And I think this is a nice, um, <laughs> Uh, coming to coming to a conclusion at the end of the year type discussion. And I think it was an interesting one to have. So I want to thank our guest tonight, Ari Siglin, and my co-host, Tony Ryder. This is Robert Forto. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.